Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. Anybody got a problem? We're going to talk about how to solve a problem today. We're in a third part of our four-part series on how God gives you a promise, then leads you into a problem, and how long you stay in a problem is determined by how you respond in the problem. Some people spend their whole career in the problem. They never get it. And then out of the problem into provision. So next week, we'll talk about how to enjoy the provision of God's promise. But today, how to solve problems. Nobody ever gets beyond the reach of problems. No one. How do you solve problems? Well, a lot of people use different methods. A rabbi and a priest got in a bad car wreck. Both cars were totaled. But amazingly, neither of the clerics got hurt. After they crawled out of their demolished cars, the rabbi saw the priest's collar, and he said, hey, you're a priest. I'm a rabbi. But look at our cars. There's nothing left. Truly, it is a miracle of God. My car is totally trashed, but this bottle of Mogan David did not break. Surely God wants us to drink this wine and celebrate our good fortune. So he hands the bottle to the priest who knocks about half of it down in one slug. Then he hands it back to the rabbi. The rabbi puts the cork in a bottle, hands it back to the priest. And the priest said, you're not going to have any? And the rabbi said, no, I'm waiting for the police. <laughs> That's one way to solve your problem. Blame it on somebody else. That goes on all the time in our culture. Or it's time for your annual evaluation where you work, and you read your performance review, and it says, this employee will go far, and the sooner he starts, the better. That's a problem. So let's do a little review of where we've been for the last uh, two weeks, the third week coming up today. Number one, we said, first, God gives you a promise. And to Israel, he said, and I came down to deliver you out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring you up out into a land that's large and flows with milk and honey. That was a promise. Second, then God takes them from Egypt into the wilderness, which is the problem. And they're in the wilderness for 40 years. They could have gotten there in two weeks. But because of their perpetual disobedience, all their murmuring, God let them go in circles around Mount Sinai for 40 years. Then Israel entered the promised land flowing with milk and honey. So they went from Egypt, a land of barely enough, into the wilderness, a land of just enough. Finally, as we'll look at next week, into the promised land of more than enough. How many of you like to live in more than enough? I like that. I mean, that ought to be our desire, even in families. And we said, how we respond in our problem determines how long we stay in the problem. Israel stayed in the wilderness 40 years. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days. So what's the difference? How you conduct yourself in the problem. We said uh, last week, the greater the promise, the greater the problem. To whom much is given, much shall be required. God isn't going to give you a $10 million promise with a $10 problem. Yeah. Oh, that hurts. Yeah, it does. And we said the problem that irritates you the most 
is usually the problem God assigns you to solve. So the problem that irritated Moses was the captivity and oppression of his own people. He even murdered a man trying to solve that problem. How many of you ever felt the spirit of slap come on you in some problems? Well, that's the wrong way to solve the problem. But when God empowered Moses and Moses decided to obey God, he was able to deliver the whole nation of Israel out of their captivity. Your success in life, our success in life, is going to be primarily determined by the problems you solve or the problems you create. Your value in a business, your value in life is based on when you show up, things ought to get better. When you show up, ideas can come forth. When you show up, here's a little encouragement to help us mediate and solve this problem. But some people show up, all they have is a problem. They love them. They bring a problem. But you don't get value unless you solve a problem. So the problem I have to solve is mainly about my perception of the problem. And that will determine if I have the ability or willingness to solve that particular problem. Saul looked at the giant Goliath and said, he's too big to kill. And David looked up and said, my God, he's too big to miss. Look at that thing. Two different views. Same problem. It's about the direction you're looking in solving your problem. Now, let me read from Deuteronomy 6, verse 23 and 24. Then God brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers and the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Look at verse 23. He took us out that he might bring us in. You have to leave what you have before God brings you into something better. Let go. You know, you have to let go. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 19. God says, if you are willing and obedient... You shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword because the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Willing and obedient. Sometimes I'm obedient, but I'm not all that willing. Anybody but me ever feel that way? Uh, is this a real crowd? I mean, can, can we talk? Or we, yeah, yeah, but... but Knowing the benefits, I usually come around to willing. It, it isn't always just yes, yes. Sometimes it's kind of a hesitation in there. You have to think about it a little bit. Then God works a little bit on the word in you. Okay. But it wasn't prompt in an instant, right? Well, now, some of you hadn't even gotten to, to prompt thinking about it. You're just not doing it. And I'm just trying to be honest how it kind of works. Let me give you five steps in solving the problem, okay? Number one, no matter what the problem is, be responsible. Take your part of responsibility. That means you are able to make an intelligent response. Every problem Israel had, they blamed on Moses. Poor Moses. And the result was, okay, boys, take another lap around the mountain. And God let them die in their problem. He didn't want to. It's their choice. One entire generation died in the desert. Everybody above 20 died in the desert simply because they would not obey. And if you want to live in your problem and die in your problem, keep blaming somebody else for your situation because you and only you control your life. 
You have, you know, McDonald's doesn't control how much you eat, supersized fries. Don't be blaming McDonald. You drove up in your car. You gave the order. You are the fault. Don't blame them for fat food when you're eating it. Okay. Uh, it's going to get worse. Hang on. See, I, I've got control of my thoughts. I've got control of my emotions. I've got control of my words, where I go, where I eat, how I dress, what I do. I get to control it, and so do you. So why are you blaming somebody else for your choices? Winston Churchill said, the price of greatness is personal responsibility. And America has become a no-fault society. No-fault divorce, no-fault insurance. It's never my fault. So you become responsible when you admit your choices have consequences. You are who you are, where you are, like you are, because of the choices you've made. And tomorrow's outcome will be the result of choices I make today. Your life is your fault. My life is my fault. Your results are your fault and nobody else's. How happy you are, the quality of your relationships, your fault. You created it. You designed it. You live in it. People, I think, would rather do anything than accept the fact that our results are generally our own fault. Individuals don't want to admit it. Businesses, churches, politicians, just as unwilling to admit it. So we blame the government, the economy, technology, stupid management, stupid employees, foreign competition, Walmart, unions, affirmative actions, OSHA, the SALU, taxes, outsourcing, the internet, rising fuel costs, the law, the lawyers, interest rates, banks, and you can add some more to it. We don't want to be responsible. Whining and thumb-sucking runs rampant in America. But here's the truth. People really like it the way it is. They like their results, even if the results suck. Yeah, you like them. People say, no, Rick, no, I don't. I want better than this. I hate not doing well. I always say, nonsense. You're perfectly happy with how, how things are. You would have done something about it, or you would be doing something about it. People haven't fixed the problem. They've only complained about the problem. If you aren't actively trying to fix the problem, you like it or at least you don't hate it enough to do something about it. See, what you can tolerate, you will never change. You, you don't hate it enough to change. You don't like it, but you can tolerate it. And boy, that is a problem. So it's not what happens to you that matters. It's how you respond to what happens to you that makes the difference. We all have bad days. We all have unfair deals. Everybody, nobody gets a go. You may pass go and collect 200. Nobody gets that unless you play Monopoly. You don't get it. If you have enemies, get up and live this day with gusto and smile. It'll drive your enemies mad. How you doing? Great. How are you? Eleanor Roosevelt said, nobody can hurt you without your consent. They can't take away your self-esteem if you don't give it to them. Well, don't give it to them. Dr. Viktor Frankl, a Jewish psychologist imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp, had his hair cut off, his clothes and belongings taken away, his name was taken away, and they tattooed a number on his arm. He said that one day when he was alone in a small room, he became aware of what he called one of the greatest human freedoms, the freedom to decide that even in this living hell, he would not let it control him. The Nazis could not control his reaction to their inhumane treatment. 
Well, so let me ask you this. Are you allowing other people to control you, to control your life, your thoughts, your emotions? If you do, you've crawled into a prison by yourself, handed them the keys. Now they are your rulers. Scripture says, let no man take your joy from you. You're a child of God. You're a free moral agent. You have the ability to be and become anything God has called you to be. My dog Lily can't do that. Poor Lily, that, that dog. Yeah, you know, we got an edge on these animals, okay? You're a free moral agent. You can make choices and decide, no, we won't go over there, Lily. You know, we're going to go over here. I get to choose. That old dog just does the same old thing every day unless I pull the leash doesn't have, doesn't understand, oh, it's better over here. This is in the shade. Let's go over there. Let's go walk over there while you go to the restroom, okay? I don't want to stay out in this hot sun. Let's get under. She can't make that choice. She just goes out there in the field. Doesn't matter. Well, that's right, isn't it? I mean, I've got free choice. You can choose to be anything God has said you can be. So walk out of that prison and become all that God destines you to be. I'm not going to let my father's five marriages ruin mine. I'm not going to let his abuse of, of, of the kids or the, or the wife dicta dictate to me how I got to behave. I don't care if my father was a thief or a, a prison convict. It's, it's got no bearing on my choices. I get to make my own choice, what I'm going to be, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to live. And I said, I'm not going to be like you. That was a, that was a motivation. I've got free choice. I, Quit blaming mom and dad for everything. If they were terrible parents, you decide to be a great parent. And once you're of age, you can leave home. And you can make other choices they refuse to make. Number two, after responsibility. Anybody but me ever sit around and say, I caused this. It's my fault. I should have made a better choice. Anybody but me ever said that? I've said that. I think everybody, if you're honest, you sit there with your hands folded. But yeah, you made it too. You made some sucky choices, too. Yeah, we know you did. We're going to put it on the screen. Just hold on. I'll put it up. <laughs> be proactive. Number two, be proactive. Take action. Seize the day. Take charge of your life, or else somebody else will. Christianity is an action faith. Faith without works is dead, Scripture says. Christianity is putting on the whole armor of God, fighting the good fight of faith. That's Ephesians chapter 6. Christianity is enduring hardness. Christianity is Noah building an ark when the meteorologist says, why, it's never rained before, and the nearest body of water is 200 miles away. Pastor Noah has lost his mind, but it rained. Read Hebrews 11. Every verse names somebody, and it says, by faith Noah, by faith Rahab, by faith Samson. What by faith? They did something. By faith, what are you doing? See, Christianity is an action faith. It's putting your hand to the plow without looking back. It's marching around Jericho seven times and shouting until the walls fall down. It's charging hell with a squirt gun, absolutely confident the victory is yours. It's Abraham climbing Mount Moriah with his son, Isaac, prepared to offer him to God, saying God will provide himself a lamb. It's Samson pulling down the walls of a pagan temple, making his last day his best day. It's Peter walking on the water, a storm-tossed sea in Galilee, knowing nothing is impossible to those who believe. Peter gets a lot of bad press, but the dude walked on the water. 
I don't know anybody else in here that's done that. You ain't even walked on your bathtub. Come on. He walked on the water in a storm. So if you have a problem, attack it. Solve it. Pray over it. Quit whining about it. But solve that problem. A farmer bought a rundown farm. The house was deteriorating. All of them needed painting. The barn, the house, they're all falling down. Fields overgrown with weeds. So the farmer went to work. And he rebuilt the house, and he rebuilt the barn. He repainted them. He plowed the fields, planted a crop, harvested an abundant crop. Well, a neighboring farmer came over and says, Fred, look at this beautiful house God gave you. Look at this beautiful barn God gave you. And look at these great fields God gave you. And the old farmer said to his neighbor, yeah, Bill, but you should have seen it when God had it by himself. See, God uses people. God's not going to do everything for you. He'll do it with you. We are called co-laborers with God. Come alongside and watch him join. He'll do the super, super but you got to do the natural. God made man with two ends, one to think with, one to sit with. And whether you win or lose in life depends on which end you use. Heads you win, tails you lose. The worst thing you can do is nothing, nothing. Take action. Do something. Even if you, you know what happens in panic when airplanes crash or the, and everybody is not killed? What happens is people panic and freeze. Do something. Step. I'm not going to wait for a flight attendant to give me the directions as to which way I may exit. I'm going over that seat through the first hole I see. That's initiating, right? That's action. I'm not going to wait and line up. Nope. Well, that's happened to me twice, okay? That's why. You, the people that take action, that initiate, and they don't wait to be told, don't just sit and freeze, they usually save their life. You got to do the same thing. Take action. What if you make a mistake? Take action. God's placed the ability to initiate within all of us. We're sons of the Most High God. We can initiate. God Almighty has written in His Word for every person here or anybody watching online what you bind on earth, I'll bind in heaven, and what you loose on earth, I'll loose in heaven. Get on it. Bind that thing, rebuke it, curse it, call it what it is. In the Word of God, hold God's Word against it, proclaim it. Well, how long? Until, until, until you get the victory, until the breakthrough comes. So folks, pray that prayer of release to attack your problem and make the crooked way straight. God's given his children, and if you're a believer in Christ, that's you. He's given you authority, power of attorney. Use his name. Use his authority. He said, I will bind it when you bind it. If you're a child of the king, act like it in Jesus' name. Number three, react, react. A major epidemic in our day and culture is self-doubt. Go to any bookstore. Look at all the self-help books designed to help people overcome self-doubt. There's a sense of being without worth that lies at the root of every emotional and spiritual problem. Many people, maybe in here, have a mental blueprint in your mind that was drawn by your parents or some authority figure in your past. And for some of you, those blueprints are a house of horrors. They're an endless nightmare that destroys your life. But good news, there's a divine architect in heaven that can redraw the blueprints of who you are. You can react. You can think again. You can now act in the right manner. 
you can force your emotions to be controlled by your convictions based on God's Word. See, then you're no longer controlled by other people. You're only controlled by God's Word. You're no longer controlled by what others think about you because, by the way, they don't. <laughs> Just a fact of life. I'll tell you, you get in trouble and you'll find out real quick your Facebook friends and all your followers ain't your friends. You'll find out real quick who really is connected to you and who does think about you, and it'd be a real small crowd. See? And it's not man's opinion that matters about you. It's God's opinion that counts. If God tells me I am, and he starts listing everything that I am, then I ought to at some time ought to begin to act like it. I, I have an expectancy that this is going to go well. Oh, it's trouble right now. He, I, he promised me I have to fight the good fight of faith, but I expect to win this thing in the end. The enemy can't keep you out if God says, I'm going to bring you in. See, God has given you an inheritance, and Satan can't take it from you. He can delay you, he can attack you, but he cannot destroy you, and he cannot take what God says I have given you or I'm bringing you to. Philippians 1, 6, that which I have begun in you, I'll perform it to the day of Jesus, and in between there is all kinds of problems, but they won't defeat you. God said so. If I say you're going to have a kid, forget about what age. For Abraham is 100. For Sarah is 90. If God says, I'm going to bring you over this land, if he has to open the Red Sea, he will. If he has to back the sun up 10 degrees, he will. If he has to extend your life, he will. He'll give you favor where you need it. But what he started, he will finish. Don't be intimidated by the problem. I don't have to like it, but don't be intimidated. It won't make me back down, lose my dream or my hope. Be confident. That's what Joshua and Caleb said. Hey, Stop talking about how tall these suckers are. They're bred for us. Giants are the breakfast of champions. God has given us this land. They're bred for us. Let's go up at once and take it. That's the difference. That's the same problem out there, but they stood on what God said. He said, I don't know how we're going to whip these guys, but God said he's given it to us. Let's go. That's, that's, I, I don't know how he's going to solve some problems sometime. Neither do you. I just know I got a track record where he does. So I'm, the more I get in the past of him solving a problem, the more expectant I am he'll continue to solve this problem, whether it's physical, financial, emotional, spiritual, whatever it is. See, it doesn't make any difference what the man across the road thinks about you. It makes a difference what the man on the throne in heaven thinks about you. And he's got all power in heaven and earth. Are you angry? Are you disappointed? Are you discouraged? Are you weary and well-doing? Listen, a low self-esteem will make your mistakes appear colossal. Comparing yourself to others will always make you a defeated person. So you become angry, then hateful, then resentful for not being perfect. Then you become bitter towards people. Finally, you become bitter towards God. Why? Because you start looking at other people's opinion rather than God's opinion about you. Let me give you some things to remember the next time Satan whispers that you're less than perfect. You are a child of the king. You are free from the dominion of sin through the blood of the cross. You are anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Angels surround you to protect you. You are not saved by performance. You're saved by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. You're a joint heir with Christ. You're an overcomer. Revelation 12 says you overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Yeah. 
Jesus has given you the power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. You walk in and you live in divine favor. You are blessed in your going out. You are blessed in your coming in. You are the head and not the tail. That's scriptural quotes. That's what God says you are. So thank God for it and get happy about it. Listen to David in Psalms 27, verse 3. Though an army should encamp against me, I will not fear. The war should rise against me. In this, I will be confident. See, when you're one person and you see a military army coming after you, if you've got one ounce of insecurity, it's going to come out right then. David said, the war should rise against me. In God, I will be confident. See, faith starts out before you know how it's going to turn out. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And without faith, God says it's impossible to please him. So stop whining to everybody about everything going wrong. If you woke up this morning and you're not in the obituary column, it's a good day. And through Christ, nothing is impossible to him who believes. You know, declare God is my father and together we can and will overcome this problem. We will. I don't know how long it'll take. I don't know what process it'll take, but we will. Remember, how you respond to the problem determines how long you stay in the problem. Number four, self-mastery. Self-mastery. It took God one day to get Israel out of Egypt. It took him 40 years to get Egypt out of them. In the problem, you discover who you really are. I've heard Christians say, if I could just see a miracle, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. Israel saw 10 miracles. They saw the Red Sea open, and they got free food every day, and they complained, we hate this manna. If God gave you 10 miracles, you'd whine because you couldn't see 11. Listen, when God is fixing the food for you in your problem, never criticize the cook. See, when you're in a problem, forget about what you want. Ask God what he wants. And you have to say, Lord, I really love this manna. Sure is good. When God says, listen up, you say, yes, Lord, I'm listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. Don't say, listen, Lord, for thy servant speaketh. <laughs> Remember, God allows, allows you problems so you can find out who you really are. The secretary was writing down her New Year's resolution. She said, I'm going to try to be more understanding of others, always. Then she said, no, nah, I can't do that. So she wrote, I'll try to be more patient with others, always. Nah, she said, I can't do that. Then she said, I won't slap anybody first thing in the morning. I can do that, she said. <laughs> so in the problem, you find out who you are. You hear people say, I didn't know that was in me, or I didn't know that was in him. See, there's two ingredients you get, you get into your self-life before you can get into the spirit world. And that's in Isaiah 1, verse 19 and 20. Two words. Willing and obedient. God says, you shall eat the good of the land. How, Lord? If you're willing and obedient. Not too difficult to read the word and obey the word as long as you're led by God's spirit. But when you are led by yourself, your own flesh, and you rebel against God's word, you stay in the problem. And some of you maybe been in there over 10 years. Come on out. See, and you're wondering, where's God? And God's in heaven looking at you saying, man, that kid's really a slow learner. <laughs> Jesus said, you are my disciples if you do whatsoever I tell you. Now, I'm not a disciple because I go to church or I sing in the choir. I'm a disciple because I obey 
Jesus said to the group of religious people, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you won't do anything I tell you. See, it all comes down to pray and obey. If you don't, you're going to stay in the wilderness until you get a good suntan. A long-haired boy asked his daddy to buy him a car. And dad says, okay, son, if you'll read your Bible, if you'll get your grades up, and you'll cut that hair, I'll do it. Well, six weeks go by. And the boy comes back, and he said, Dad, here's my report card. I got straight A's, and I've been reading the Bible twice a day. And the daddy said, but your hair is still long. And the boy said, well, I've been reading the Bible, and Jesus and the disciples had long hair. And the dad said, well, if you've really been reading the Bible, you'll also find out Jesus and the disciples walked everywhere they went. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So if you want what the Father has, do what the Father says. How hard is that? And God said, then you shall eat the fat of the land. If not, you'll remain in the wilderness, taking another lap around Sinai again and again. So God turns up the heat in the problem so you can see what's in your self-life. God says, I want you to tithe. Tithe? I'm not a fanatic. God says, okay, take another lap around the mountain. Do you know what the acronym is for debt, D-E-B-T? It means doing everything but tithing. God speaks to men about your marriage. You've been a little mouthy with your wife. You need to apologize to her. So you go into the kitchen and say, honey, I'm sorry for being too mouthy with you. Then she snapped, well, it's about time you realize that. And then he shouts back, and both of you are going another lap around the mountain. You go to bed mad. An old proverb says, if at first you don't succeed, try doing it like your wife told you in the first place. I know, I know. God comes and says, look, you got a greed problem. You say, no, I don't. Yeah, you got a greed problem. One man said, I'm going to live within my means even if I have to borrow to do it. So you go to the mall, a designer dress leaps off the rack, it attacks you. And you put $1,000 on your credit card and you go home and hide it in the closet between your clothes. Two weeks later, you come wearing it out and your husband says, is that new? Why, no, it's been in my closet forever. <laughs> Liar. Is there going to be trouble? Oh, yeah, both of you are going to take another lap around the mountain. You start spending more and more. Then you start having marriage trouble. Then you tell your employer, I got to have a raise or I'm going to quit. And the boss says, look, if you can't hack it, get your jacket. Goodbye. And you go, oh, Lord, where are you? The Bible says, God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory. And he will, but he won't supply all of my greed. That is not a promise. See, sell the fancy car. Get rid of the country club membership. Sell the house. Get an apartment because your marriage is worth more than all that stuff. If you have to, do it. Take another lap until you get rid of that bad attitude. See, God will get your attention and then leave you alone. He did it to Adam and Eve in the garden. He tells you what to do. Then he withdraws his conscious presence to see what you'll do. And if you fail the test, you just keep going around the mountain until you get the message. If you are willing and if you obey, you will eat the fat of the land. But if you're not, you're going to die in the wilderness. And number five, give absolute obedience to God's word. God's word is truth. It's living water. It's meat for men, milk for children. It is called a two-edged sword. It is life and health to all my flesh. David said in Psalms 119, verse 11, 
Thy word have I hidden in my heart, that means memorized, that I might not sin against thee. See, remember, when God gives the promise, he removes your consciousness of his presence. Oh, he's there, but you don't feel that he's there. Then that allows Satan to come and probe the weaknesses of your self-life. Anybody but me ever have times when you didn't even feel God? You didn't feel spiritual? You, you didn't feel anything? Well, God's still there. He, he promises he, his, he's omnipresent, but what he took away was your consciousness of his presence. And that's a good, the, the, the nice thing is that when that happens, I stand on what God said, not what I feel. I have to stand, well, here's what he said, I quote it. Feelings come and feelings go. Anybody but me have that? They come and they go. Get on 281. I have a lot of feelings, and not any of them are any good, I can tell you that. 1604, you're even worse. That, that, that is, that, that's Gehenna on steroids. Don't even go that way. Go to, what's that freeway down there? Wurzbach Freeway, cut all the way over to 10. I'm telling you, that somebody just had a sadistic nature that figured out how to do traffic on 1604 with construction. Unbelievable. Now, there's a difference between God's omnipresence and my consciousness of his presence. Let's say that today you get saved, and you feel great, but a month from now, you don't feel saved. Are you still saved? Well, yeah. Why? Because I'm not saved by my feeling. I'm saved by faith in what Jesus did for me. God will test you by removing your consciousness of his presence. Is God still there? Well, of course he is. Psalms 139, verse 7 says, where can I go from your presence? Verse 8, if I make my bed in hell, even there, you're there. So whatever your problem, and regardless of what you feel, God is still Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. He's there in the fiery furnace as the fourth man in the fire. He's there in the lion's den with Daniel. He's there in the place called Morrow, the bitter pool. He's there in the valley of the shadow of death. In betrayal, he's there. In sickness, he's there. When your doctor says there's no hope, he is there. In financial devastation, he's there. He will not fail you. Be absolutely certain he is there. Stop living by your feeling and live by faith by what God said. Stop living by other people's opinion. Live by the word of God. Stop living in the shackles of the past. Stand on the promises of God for today. So take charge of your life. Stop playing the blame game. Put your hand in God's hand and reach for the destiny God's given you. And here's how the enemy works you over in a problem. God gives you the promise, then withdraws your consciousness of his presence. Then the enemy comes in and baits what's in your self-life. Nobody, anybody but me, ever give way to a little self-pity when you're in the fire. And the enemy will try to bait you into blaming God, your parents, your spouse, the president, anybody but you. The enemy will tell you nobody understands. Nobody loves you. So just give up, get drunk, have an affair, poor you. But self-pity destroys you. You've got to tell the enemy when those thoughts come, shut up. You're standing on the word of God. God says, if you will do what I say, The storms will come, the flood will come, the rain will come, but at the end, the house will be unshaken. If you don't, then when the floods come, great is the fall of that house. So you have to decide, are you going to have a fail-proof home, life, 
or are you going to be one that's just good until bad times come and then you fall apart? So are you going to be responsible? You're in charge of your own life with the help of Almighty God. You're standing on the, His eternal word that cannot fail. Heaven and earth will pass away. He said, my word will not pass away. I don't care what Washington says. It'll pass away with the next administration. God says, what I say won't ever change, won't ever fail. When you start responding that way, God will promote you. He'll give you houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig. He'll defeat your enemies. He will prosper you in such a way the enemy and the wicked envy you. Because God says if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. But if not, you'll fall by the edge of the sword. So are you ready to receive God's blessing? Are you ready to solve the problem? All you have to do is be willing and obedient to live by God's word. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.